Good morning, Embrace. Welcome to Sunday Morning Church. Good morning if you're in person. Good morning if you're online. Um, yeah, we're going to have a, have a good time this morning. Uh, we'll sing some songs, hear, hear a little bit of scripture, a word from the Lord. Um, yeah, I invite you to stand up. My name is Laban. I'm the worship leader here at the church. And uh, yeah, you can stand up. Uh, I just want to start out just with a word of prayer. So I invite you just to open your hearts and minds and let's enter into a, a space of worship this morning. Dear Lord, we, we're thankful for this church, for all these folks joining together. You know what we've been through this last week, the ups and the downs. You know what's ahead. Allow us to be here right now. Block out distractions. Allow us to listen. We do a lot of talking a lot of times in our lives. Pray that we could listen this morning. We could be open to something you might be wanting to say to us. Open to a direction you might have for us. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this day. We don't take it for granted. You are creator God. You set aside every day. And it's like you make it new every day. And we're ever-changing people, and uh, you have something for us. You guide us like a shepherd. We praise you this morning. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh praise Him, hallelujah, thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam.
brings their creator bless and worship him in humbleness oh praise him and hallelujah and praise praise the father praise the son and praise the spirit three in one oh praise him
Well, there's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. There's an army rising up. To break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. To break every chain, to break every chain, break every chain. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power. In the name of Jesus, there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, 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 to break every Every chain, to break 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 every chain.
words from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you His servants, praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, His glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. God, we thank you so much for this time we get to spend together each week. God, I thank you for this rhythm that we have to our life where we come back together to be lifted up, to lift you up, to encourage, to be encouraged, to love and to be loved, to inspire and to be inspired, to challenge and to be challenged. Lord, thank you for this sacred moment that we have together each week. And I pray that today, Lord, would be a 
wonderful moment for each of us that we would leave here different, that we would experience transformation, that we would leave here looking more like Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us, even when we're not very lovable people sometimes. God, we need you, and we ask that you would be with us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said together, amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Well, good morning. My name is John Gallagher, and I'm the lead pastor here at Embrace, and I just want to say welcome to each and every one of you. I'm so glad that you came to worship with us this morning. It's a beautiful day again outside, and I'm just glad to be here. What we're going to do now is something that we do each week, and we say sometimes that it could be your favorite moment, it could be your least favorite moment of the morning. It depends on who you are. But we do take a little bit of time just to connect with each other. Um, we found that during the pandemic, we missed that connection, that conversation. We were able to do some of that online, but we just want to make sure we carve out space so that you at least get to talk to one or two people when you come here. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to turn around and get in groups of like three or four or five people. Um, and if you see anybody sitting on their own, uh, go to them, you know, make sure you introduce yourselves. And then also what we do is just share something we're grateful for. And so if you have something on your heart that you're grateful for this morning, you can share that. We also give an opportunity to share any lament that you might have. Lament is just sharing and and, and giving to your community and to God something maybe that's not going so well or something that's been hard, something that you see in your life or in the world or in our community that's bothering you and causing you pain and grief. We want to make sure that we're not not shying away from those things, that we're able to share those and bring those to the community as well, because we live in this great tension right now between praise and protest, between gratitude and lament. And so I encourage y'all just to turn to a few people around you, introduce yourselves, and then just share briefly, and I'll call you back together in just a moment. Those of you online, I'd love if y'all would share as well, and I'd love to see kind of what you're grateful for and lamenting as well. So let's do that now.
All right, if y'all want to take a minute or two, I'll call you back together in just a moment. Make sure everybody's got a chance to share. All right, as much as I'd love to just let you all talk forever, we do have things to do. So I'm going to ask that you all will start wrapping up and bringing your attention up this way. So we have a few things in our community we'd like to share this morning. Um, didn't have a lot of uh, discussion online, so I'll just say that um, Dan and I were both Dan and I were both lamenting and gra grateful for the same exact things today. That's a scary thought that Dan and I are like on the same page, you know. Um, but we are. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I don't, Dan's worried and I'm worried, so I don't know. Um, anyway, we, we were both just uh, feeling grateful for the beautiful weather we've had, particularly the beautiful mornings. It's just been nice to have cool mornings and sunshine. And it's, when you're feeling uh, low and kind of going through hard times, just having beautiful weather can help lift your spirits just a little bit. And then also just lamenting just the violence that, that we continue to see uh, throughout our city um, and across really the entire world. Um, that's something that I'm lamenting this morning. And also, uh, something fresh on my mind. You've probably seen it all over the, the national headlines, but just the way that our wonderful uh, neighbors that come from various countries, our immigrant brothers and sisters, are just being used as pawns in sick political games. And it's just uh, abhorrent and evil and disgusting. And I lament that. Um, and so, yeah, I know that Jesus is weeping, and he is also experiencing righteous anger. Over, over this, and so I just wanted to say that as well. Um, this uh, morning, when you came in, hopefully you saw on the welcome table there were announcement sheets. Um, if you picked one up, that's great. Um, you can just read through that. The main thing I'll just mention is that our Bible class that we have been talking about for a few weeks uh, started back up. This is our third part of our three-part series we've been in throughout the year, and this is when we're actually opening our Bibles and studying the text and learning some tools on how to read and, and study scripture. And so if you missed this morning, you still want to be a part of it, you're welcome to join next week. Um, we did record it, and we'll probably try to 
edit that down a little bit and share uh, the teaching portion of that for you all, um, if you'd like to see that and catch up on what we did this week. But Christina led us this morning, and it was a really, really wonderful time. And so um, I encourage you all to, to come to that next week at 9 o'clock if you'd like to join us. And then also our Wonder Room has started back up, which is really exciting. Um, and so our ministry for our children during the service um, has started next week, and we'll be doing that um, every week except the first Sunday of the month. And so I'll dismiss you all in just a moment, so uh, just be patient. Um, in your pews, there are giving envelopes. If you'd like to give and support um, our ministry at the church, you can uh, do so by putting an offering in the box there or the box in the back of the room. You can also give online at our website, embraceyourcity.com. Um, we appreciate your support and generosity um, we are doing well financially, um, and we're able to, to make our, our budget each month because of the generosity of you all. So thank you so much for your contributions and through investing in what we're doing here. Our church does a lot of wonderful ministry, and then we also help equip and empower others to do ministry as well. Uh, you may not know this, but we um, all the space under the sanctuary in our basement is donated to Common Good for their programs and, and what they do and their just blown up, doing so much good stuff, and they don't pay anything to be here, and we see it as an extension of our ministry. And also on our second floor, we have a neighbor's immigration clinic, our legal clinic that provides free uh, to low-cost um, immigration legal services uh, for immigrants and refugees here in central Kentucky, and they are up there, and they don't pay anything to be here either because we see that as an extension of what we do also. So thank you for all your support in helping make those ministries possible and I'll also just give a plug, if you feel outraged like I have this week about all the things that just continue to come up with each election cycle around just treating immigrants so poorly in our nation, uh, Neighbors is a great way to, to invest some resources and time and show some financial solidarity uh, with our immigrant uh, brothers and sisters in our community. So um, I encourage you all to consider that. I don't think I have any other announcements. Let me make sure. Um, if you'd like prayer, uh, you can fill out your Connect card that's in your pew. On the back, there's a spot for prayer requests. You can also email us at prayer at embraceyourcity.com. So that's all the announcements I have for today. So I'm going to dismiss our children now for their time of learning in the Wonder Room. And so let's give them a hand as they come forward. So children and parents, if you are a child or you have a child that's four years old all the way up through fifth grade, then they're welcome to go upstairs. We have two Wonder Rooms, two classes for them, and they'll be up there until the end of the service. Then you can go up and get them after it's over. If you're visiting with us and you would like to walk up with your child and check it out and, and make sure you know where they're going, then that is totally fine also. But we're so grateful for them. So I'll let them uh, transition out of here, and I'll move over to, to my spot. So I'd like to warn you up front before I begin my sermon today. <laughs> I always like to give warnings ahead of my sermons, you know. It really helps you, like, what is he going to say, you know? Um, but basically for this one, I, there's not going to be any simple or easy answers for this sermon this week. It's not going to be very tidy or neatly packaged. You know, sometimes I have a sermon where it's like the point is abundantly clear and it's so simple and so practical and you can take it home with you, you know. Uh, last week, in a way, was that, you know, like, let's stop saying not today and actually focus on now, you know, and what God is calling us to. 
Uh, today is a bit more complex, you know, and it's because the text that we have for this week is a bit complicated. Um, our text is pretty confusing. I would say it's very provoking, and it's been heavily debated uh, throughout history. It's one of those texts uh, that preachers rarely choose to preach, um, yet we've been following the, the Revised Common Lectionary for the past two and a half years, and, and it has brought us here, and so I'm going to preach on it, and I'm excited about it. Um, so I'm going to talk about it, and I'm going to raise some ideas and thoughts I have and some paths that I've kind of taken in my own interpretation of this passage, but just know that there's many other ways to read it, and, and I encourage you all to dig in yourselves. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles just to be ready, we're going to get into it in just a moment, but it is Luke chapter 16, um, and we'll get there in just a, a little bit. So, you know, they say in America that you shouldn't really, you should avoid uh, talking about money and politics and religion. Those are things you shouldn't really talk about. Um, I was, Laura had her uh, 20-year high school reunion uh, last night, and so we went to the reunion, and uh, I actually talked about all these things with people, so I'm not very good at this either, you know, uh, I think they enjoyed it, but I just found one person, and we just got deep, you know, because I, I didn't know any of those people there at the party, but uh, it, it was fun. But, you know, Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't abide by that rule, and, and these are kind of rules that our culture has, that these are things you shouldn't get into, and, and some people... I've told you this before, but the most pushback I ever get uh, with sermons is if there's anything that people think is mildly political, you know, and they're like, no, we don't do that in church. And, and I just like, Jesus talked about things that impacted kind of the way we live our lives and structure our communities. He talked about issues of kind of systemic injustice and ways that like economics and things play into the way people uh, live their lives and who's thriving and who's not. And, and these are things we need to talk about in church um, because they're important. And Jesus talks about all this stuff in the Gospels, and including our parable for today. You know, Jesus' parables that he told, these stories that he would often tell, and he would teach in parables on a regular basis. And they often deal uh, with everyday issues. And the passage today really deals with economics. Um, Dustin's geeking out about that because he loves economics. Uh, but they deal with economics, kind of debt systems, um, debt relief, which has been kind of a hotly debated thing recently. Um, deals with kind of scheming and under-the-table stuff. It deals with where our allegiance lies. This parable itself uh, that Jesus told is actually quite difficult to understand. Um, I, my dad was sharing a book with me on the parables. This guy, uh, I think his name Snodgrass is his last name, a unique name. But he wrote that book, and, and, he, and he looked at this parable, all the parables, and it's so comprehensive. But on this one, he gave a survey of all the interpretations out there and there were 13 of them by scholars, smart people, you know, and I'm like, 13 different ways to read this parable? This is kind of overwhelming. Um, I have read personally probably up to 10 different ones, and, but, but really, that shouldn't be something to scare us away from the Bible, because parables are really, that's how they're meant to work. They aren't meant to give easy answers. They're meant to provoke us, to challenge us, to push us, to think and consider and to ask questions for ourselves. There are these like mysterious and often cryptic stories uh, that have layers of meaning. And, and really, if you think about it, any good story, any good poem, any good piece of art, that's the way that it works, right? There's not just one way to look at it. I like to go to art museums when I travel uh, to different cities throughout the world. And, and like to find kind of their main one. And it's interesting when you go in, anyone can look at a piece of art 
and kind of get something different from, a, from it and be inspired and challenged in a different way. My wife participates in a book club, and every few weeks they read a book together. And when they come together, I, I, I've never been to any of them, but when they come together to discuss the book, I am pretty confident that each person in the room is getting something different out of the story because that's what a good story does. They challenge us to consider, to think, to wonder. That's what the kids are doing upstairs. They're wondering. They're being told stories and wondering about where God may be in the midst of this. Parables can be frustrating, though, for people like us, uh, our modern kind of Western minds. We like certainty. We like answers. We like clarity. We like directions. Uh, We like things to be tightly packaged, right? But that's not what the parables do for us. They're not going to give us any of that. They invite us to wonder and to think and to imagine and to consider how we might live our lives differently. And so like I said, the parable for today is, it's not super straightforward, but I do believe it can inspire us to continue on in our journey of following Jesus. And so I'm going to read from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, and I'm going to read it kind of slow uh, so you can see the words and process them as I'm going through it. And then you all, there's Bibles in your pews that are a different translation, but that could be helpful to look at that also. So chapter 16 of Luke, it's the uh, third book in the New Testament. So Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes. So he called in each one of his master's debtors, folks who owed the master money. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Cut it in half. The manager uh, then asked the second, And how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, Who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either they will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So right at the beginning of this story, uh, we read, there was a rich man. And I will tell you uh, that we know right off the bat that we're dealing with money, And we're dealing with power. 
There are two stories in Luke chapter 16, all right, just in this one chapter that begin with the exact same phrase, there was a rich man. So these stories in Luke's mind, I, there's really no way to argue it. They're, they're connected to one another. He's telling these two stories back to back for a reason. We're going to deal with one of them this week, and then we're going to deal with the next one uh, this coming Sunday. So, so get ready for that. Um, one thing we need to know is that Jesus tells other stories about rich men and Luke, and the rich man is not portrayed in a positive way in any of the stories. So get ready for it. So the main character in the story, though, is not the rich man, but the main character in the story is, is this guy, this manager. Now you can think of the manager kind of like mid-level management if you're thinking of a company, and so the rich man may be like the CEO or the owner of the company, and then the manager is kind of like a mid-level person, has some power, but ultimately is there to do the wishes of the person in charge. So the boss, his boss, was extremely wealthy. All right, just thinking about looking at the numbers and the amount of things he was loaning out to people, this person had a lot of resources, a lot of wealth. He was loaning out money and goods and land to people all across the village. Now, in the Roman Empire during the time of Jesus, owning land was very important. It was primarily an agrarian society. People farmed, and if you farm, you need land to farm, right? And so some powerful people uh, were very cunning and knew that if they could take the land, if they could have the land, then they could control the economy and therefore have incredible power. And just like today, you know, they schemed and did what they needed to do. And so through massive land grabs, most of the land in ancient Palestine came under the control of a few great households. The majority of the common kind of everyday folks uh, were forced to enter into working relationships with these great households in order to survive because they had to live somehow. And if you don't have land, you can't farm, you can't provide for yourself, so you've got to work with these people who have the power. And so they became indebted to these powerful families and, and really had no opportunity for upward mobility, and they had no choice but to do this. They had to survive. This was kind of that patron-client relationship we've talked about sometimes. This is kind of how the economy and the society worked. You had these great patrons that had lots of resources, and then you had to enter into relationships with them to make it. So the middle manager is unique because he's kind of like on the side of the, the boss. Like he's, he's connected to him, living on his property um, but he's also kind of, he, he's in a weird role. He's kind of in the middle. He was tasked with going out and collecting debt payments and serving kind of as a middleman between the owner and the owner's clients, those everyday people who didn't own their land. Now, the manager was told that he was going to lose his job. Um, and, and I don't know if you've ever been laid off or fired. It's a very, like, uh, anxiety-producing thing in this society, like, you know, if he lost his job with the boss, he's probably thinking, like, people probably don't like me very much because I'm, like, collecting debt payments and stuff. I'm, like, charged to go out and, like, get the interest payments and all these things. Nobody's going to like me. If he doesn't like me anymore either, where am I going to go? How am I going to live? And he says, you know, like, I'm kind of too weak to dig and to do manual labor, but I'm too proud to beg. If I got fired, I'd probably think the same thing, right? I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and so he's trying to scheme and figure out what he's going to do next. And we don't know why he was fired, but perhaps he wasn't bringing in enough money for the boss. We don't know, but he was terrified. And so in desperation, he devises a plan, 
And, and his plan is to ingratiate himself to his clients, like to get them on his side. He knew he would need their help after he was fired. He wouldn't have anywhere to live, right? And so he went to the clients and he told them that he was going to reduce their debts that they owed to the master. So they'd be excited about this. Some people he reduced 50% off. That's a huge deal, right? Uh, some of y'all with these student loan forgiveness, maybe half of your debt was forgiven, and you're like, this is amazing, right? It feels good. He reduced their debt like 20 to 50% of the amount owed. He figured they would be grateful for this and that they would take him in once his boss kicked him out of his home. To me, this sounds like a good plan, right? Because it would be difficult to survive without the support of the master or his friends to help him out. And so his boss found out about what he did, and Jesus says, as he tells the story, that the master commended the manager. And we're not sure exactly why, but he was impressed by this plan. And people debate over and over what was going on here. Why was the master happy with this? Um, we don't know, but Jesus says that he was impressed that the manager acted shrewdly. Shrewd is not uh, in my vocabulary usually, so I had to kind of look it up. But it's really to be wise. It's to be cunning. It's to be crafty. It's kind of the street smarts that people have. A shrewd person kind of knows how to work the system to get what they need. And I say, honestly, it was very shrewd. This guy had a good plan. I mean, think about it. The clients would have been very happy um, that part of their debt was forgiven. They would have been grateful for the manager, but they would have been probably even more grateful to the boss because they knew it was the boss's money. They'd be like, man, this boss is, this guy's awesome. He's forgiving a lot of my debt. It would have made the boss look really good. In an honor-shame culture, you know, people like to look good. And so the boss would have kind of had to go along with this plan because he would have looked generous and kind, and then he would have looked like a fool if he went back on what the manager did because he was the one who tasked the manager to do this anyway. And so it kind of worked out, and, and the boss was probably in a bind and kind of had to go along with forgiving those debts. And so the manager, this mid-level manager, likely came out of the situation looking okay. He probably made some new friends with these clients who owed the boss money, and the boss probably let him get away with it in order to save face with his many clients. This is certainly uh, an interesting story. I mean, right, it's an interesting plan. He kind of got out of something uh, a problem he was in. It's an interesting story about a crafty manager who cons his boss out of money and is able to start new uh, with new friends after getting fired. But, you know, Jesus didn't just, like, tell interesting stories. His parables, they had deeper meaning. They're meant to do more than just, like, be a fun story to hear. They're meant to impact the way that we live. He's telling these stories for a reason. His parables are meant to communicate deeper and important truths about life and God. But like this story, it seems a little bit too messy. Because often in a story, you can pick out who the good, the good person is in the story. Like who are we supposed to follow? Who are we supposed to imitate? And in this story, it's a little bit hard to know, right? Some of Jesus' parables, there's clearly like a, a good person in the story. But in this story, I wonder who is the good guy? Because the rich man certainly isn't the good guy. You know, the, the, the Jews in the, in the early, uh, in the first century, would have, they would have seen this guy kind of like what we talk about the 1%, right? He was building wealth, a massive amounts of debt on the backs of, of mostly poor people. And, and no everyday Jew is going to be like, that's the good guy in the story, right? He was loaning out money, probably charging interest 
uh, high interest rates was a common practice. And, and you may not know this, that's actually against Jewish law in the Old Testament to charge interest. No everyday first century Jew would look kindly on the rich man in the story. But the manager, he's also complicated, right? I mean, he did forgive their debt, which is like pretty cool. Uh, I mean, that's a good thing. But it wasn't really his money in the first place. And then, like, his motive for forgiving the debt was not really pure uh, because he did it to benefit himself and to get him out of trouble. So that's not, like, honorable or noble. And he was also kind of dishonest, right? Like, he was not really telling the boss what he was doing, and he was going and kind of changing up the contracts and everything. And, And I wonder, like, could Jesus really be using this guy as an example for us to follow? But then I thought about it, and I'm like, man, Every single person in the Bible except Jesus was very complicated and messy. They did some good, but they also did some really kind of shady kind of stuff. We're all complicated people here, right? We're a mix of darkness and light, just like this manager. So perhaps we can connect even more to this character in the story. And I find it refreshing that Jesus told a story about an imperfect person with mixed motives Um, and use this person as an example for us. And I'll tell you, Jesus doesn't commend his dishonesty. He doesn't say, go be dishonest like this manager. He doesn't say, go be really selfish and do things for your own gain like this manager. But Jesus does bring to to light and, and honor his shrewdness, his cunning, his wisdom, his street smarts, his ability to bring something good out of a messy circumstance. And honestly, I think more followers of Jesus uh, need this kind of shrewdness because we live in a messed up world, don't we? And if we're going to be about the kingdom of God in this messed up kingdom that we're living in now, we're going to need to be smart. We're going to need to be crafty. We're going to need to be shrewd. So I think that's one level of how we can gain some insight. But even on a deeper level, To me, as I've read lots of different interpretations of this story, I think this parable appears to be a story about a man kind of finding his way out of this exploitative system and switching his loyalty from the oppressive owner to the everyday debtors. This man worked for a boss who likely took care of him, but also at the same time expected him to engage in unjust practices of taking advantage of working people. This was commonplace and rampant all throughout ancient Palestine. Yet the manager found a way out, leaving the rich man stunned and the working people freed of debt. You know, these kind of stories make wealthy Americans uncomfortable um, because, uh, you know, we don't like to be challenged. And we don't like people to talk about our possessions and what we have and how we use what we have. And perhaps this is one reason there are so many interpretations of this story. Because people, uh, myself included, I like to read the Bible in a way that doesn't challenge me sometimes. And so we got a lot of people who interpret Scripture in ways that spiritualize things when we talk about money. It's not really about money. It's not really about economics. It's about your heart. Or, Or maybe it's about both. Maybe it's about both. Jesus was clear in his teaching and his example on, on a lot of these issues. He was clear about what he thought about powerful, wealthy people taking advantage of the poor. 
In Luke chapter 4, we've talked about this over and over. This is probably one of the most important sections of Scripture in the whole Gospel of Luke, and you have to interpret the whole Gospel through Luke 4. Jesus goes into the synagogue in his hometown. He stands up, picks up the scroll, and what does he read? He reads from Isaiah, and he reads this passage about the Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's sent me to proclaim sight for the blind and and all the different things. And one thing he says is that I came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, another way to describe this is the year of Jubilee is what Jesus was talking about here. This was an ancient practice in in Jewish uh, culture. It was woven into their law in the Old Testament. No one's sure if they ever actually practiced it or not, but they should have if they did not. But every 50 years, the year of Jubilee would come. And it was a massive debt cancellation for people all across the nation. It was a way to start over. People who had been paralyzed by the crippling nature of debt could be set free. That probably sounds good to some of us in the room, doesn't it? This is in their law, right? And Jesus came proclaiming cancellation of debt. We also find in Luke the theme of radical reversal. This is prominent all throughout Luke. We see it everywhere. Jesus, what did he say in the Beatitudes in Luke? He said, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. In Mary's song in Luke 2, Mary's Magnificat that people call it. You should go back and read it, but Mary prophesies about a lot of stuff. And she says that the poor are being filled and lifted up, and the rich are being sent away empty and brought low. It's radical reversal. We also see in Luke Jesus condemning the oppressive practices of wealthy and powerful people who are oppressing others. And this parable is just another example. Perhaps Jesus told this story to inspire his listeners, to challenge his listeners to break free of the worldly economies of selfish gain and exploitation and inequality and begin living in the kingdom of God, which is an economy of friendship, of mutual aid, of sharing, of solidarity. In verse 9, he says something peculiar. He says, Jesus says, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, this is a peculiar statement. You may read it differently than I do. But the way I read it is that Jesus is calling us to use this worldly wealth. Other translations say dishonest wealth. This worldly wealth, use it not to build up ourselves, but use it for the sake of others. You know, wealth is incredibly dangerous, and and we like to ignore that and and just continue to amass as much as we see fit, and and it, it can corrupt us. It can change us. It can lead us to be very selfish and prideful and indulgent and power hungry, and we've seen the effects of that all across our world from the beginning of time. Wealth has a way of destroying relationships, of disting us from others, of shielding us from the suffering of other people. Worldly economies, um, including right here in America, are often sustained by competition, overconsumption, exploitation, and inequality. In the economy of the kingdom of God, it's about working together. It's about the common good. It's about sharing and mutual aid and compassion and support and equity. Very, very different. I went to school, a school in Florida, side note, But they taught us that capitalism and the free market was a gift from God, and it was God's economy that was given to us. And some of the fundamental tenets of this is competition. It's about overconsumption. It's materialism. 
And these are things that run counter to what Jesus taught us and the way we ought to interact and, and structure ourselves in community together. And you see the early church, what did they do? They started trying to live this out. They didn't get it right all the time. But they started pooling resources and sharing and coming together. It was about relationships. It wasn't about pursuing power and wealth here on earth. So while we wait, and while we live on this earth waiting for Jesus to return, to, to a large degree, we have to deal in worldly economies that are inherently flawed. But I believe Jesus is challenging us to use that worldly wealth to do good, to benefit the common good, to, to focus on relationships. And this is where the manager's example kind of comes up short, right? Because the manager canceled debts expecting something in return. He wanted them to take him in. But Jesus taught in other places that we give without any expectation of getting anything in return. And this was a big deal then and it's a big deal now that you give and you do for others without any expectation of something in return. And as noble as we think we are, we often want something in return. Whether that's affirmation, whether that be friendship, whether that be patting you on your back and saying, I love you, you know, we want something often. And Jesus is saying, no, I want you to give to others without any expectation of something in return. And I believe that's what Jesus means when he's telling us to use worldly wealth to gain friends for ourselves. Use this dishonest money that's all tainted to bless others, to bring people close, to show compassion, to build connections, not to build up ourselves or our desires or our power. My friend Jesus, who is running Neighbors Immigration Clinic, he talks about practicing financial solidarity with those who are suffering and struggling. And often, you know, we need to give our bodies, we need to give our, re our time and those things, but often we need to just give our financial solidarity and be willing to th throw our resources at causes and movements that are working on behalf of people who are suffering. In the remaining... Uh, verses, Jesus continues to emphasize his point in many different ways, and I'm not going to break all of them down. Uh, you can go read them again, but the passage ends when he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And this is one that people often don't like to read or talk about, because uh, this is very straightforward, actually. A lot of it was confusing, but you can't get around this one. This one's very, very straightforward. You cannot serve both God and money. And frankly, uh, mostly the American church has worked out a deal uh, where we're like, well, you can't actually serve both God and money. And, and we've worked out a deal and said, oh, no, y'all can come to my church and you can serve both. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, but Jesus, I think, would have a problem with that. The word for money is a word called mammon in the Greek. And mammon is not a, a word we use often, but it's really a personification of wealth and it's really more about the exploitative economic systems of domination and inequality. It's not just about money. It's about the whole system that favors some over others and puts people in bad situations. This is the kind of stuff the prophets were always yelling about. The prophets were fiery prophets yelling, you're oppressing people. You're, you're withholding wages. You're doing this. You're doing that. You're hurting others. This is what mammon is talking about. We see the mammon system at work today all across our world. Our economic systems are basically built to benefit a few on the backs of the masses. And this is not what the kingdom of God is all about. The mammon system, our worldly economy, it's going to vanish at one point, but not until Jesus returns and it's all finished. But in the meantime, we must be mindful of where our allegiance lies. 
while we operate in this unjust system of competition and greed and materialism, we actually can live differently. We don't have to be slaves to the mammon system. We can live differently through sharing, through canceling debts, to giving without any expectation of getting back, through generosity, through financial and relational solidarity, through prioritizing people over profit. Ched Myers, one of my favorite biblical scholars, argues that the manager in the story is a good model for middle-class Christians in America. I fit into this category, and I can say that I often benefit from these systems that were built by people more powerful than me, but I benefit from it, and often these systems aren't very just. And I need to do all I can. We need to do all we can to break free of this system that is hurting so many people. And in this sense, we must live counterculturally. We have to think about redistribution. I believe that is a Christian idea, that we redistribute wealth and resources so that people have enough, so that no one is crippled by debt, so that people have access to the things that lead to life and flourishing. I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I want y'all to, there's hymnals in your pews, all right? I want y'all to get those out. And, and I want you to turn to the back. If y'all, there's not enough, just share with the neighbor. I'll give you a second. On page 886 in the back, there is a, an affirmation here that I think is really powerful. And strikes at the heart of of what we're talking about here as we live in the meantime. That's the ultimate question that we have to ask as Christians right now. What do we do in the meantime? We live in this tension between the already and the not yet. We, we, We can see the vision of what it could be, but we also see what it is right now. And we have to figure out how do we live in this tension. And 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 we're not gonna be perfect. We're gonna make mistakes. It's gonna be messy, but we've got to try. You know, we've got to try to break free of these oppressive things that are keeping us all in chains. And, and so we're, I want to say this social affirmation. So you'll see it says the World Methodist Social Affirmation. The stuff in bold you all will say, and I will read uh, the, the normal print. If you go on the next, it, it continues on to the next page. So I want you all to pay attention to these words. Are you all ready? We good? All right. We believe in God, creator of the world and of all people, and in Jesus Christ incarnate among us, who died and rose again, and in the Holy Spirit present with us to guide, strengthen, and comfort. We rejoice in every sign of God's kingdom, in the upholding of human dignity and community, in every expression of love, justice, and reconciliation in every act of self-giving on behalf of others, in the abundance of God's gift entrusted to us that all may have enough, in all responsible use of the earth's resources. We confess our sin, individual and collective, by silence or action, through the violation of human dignity based on race, class, age, sex, nation, or faith through the exploitation of people because of greed and indifference, through the misuse of power in personal, communal, national, and international life, through the search for security by those military and economic forces that threaten human existence, through the abuse of technology which endangers the earth and all life upon it. We commit ourselves individually 
and as a community to the way of Christ, to take up the cross, to seek abundant life for all humanity, to struggle for peace with justice and freedom, to risk ourselves in faith, hope, and love, praying that God's kingdom may come. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. If you would continue to pray with me, God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your challenging word. We thank you for the vision that you offered us of a different way. God, I pray that, that this morning, this, this scripture and some reflections that, that I shared, Lord, could be a spark for all of us to really look at our lives and think about what we participate in, how we use the things we have, what we do with our resources. That we would think about, are we living as citizens of the kingdom of God or are we fully immersed in the kingdoms of this world? Help us, Lord, to have the courage to, to do what we need to do, uh, to invite you into our lives, all aspects of our lives, so that we can be set free from the things that entangle us. We thank you, Lord, that you came, that, that you... Yes, you died and you rose. We're so grateful and we praise you for that, Lord, for the gift of the Spirit. And we also, Lord, are so grateful that you spent 30-something years living a life here on earth to model for us what it looks like to be a human being, what it looks like to be fully human, to be someone who is in love with God and, and who loves others and who loves themselves. Lord, we, so often, Lord, we don't see that dignity in others. We don't see it in ourselves. We, we just aren't being the, the people that you have created us to be. And we repent of that. But I pray, Lord, that we could be set free. And that, Lord, we could use, we could use uh, worldly wealth to, to gain friends and to to build relationships and to help others and to come in solidarity with others and to walk with others in their journeys, Lord, that we could share, that we could support, that we could show compassion and we could see the freedom that's offered in that. It's not a burden, it's freedom to be set free from the things that are entangling us. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we could look at our hearts and our actions and our minds and we could see the ways, Lord, that we are entangled. That we are caught up in kind of the the thorns and they're choking us out as the other parable of the sower said, Lord, that we could see what that is and that, Lord, you would come and, and set us free from those things. Lord, we need you so much and, and God, we thank you that you gave up your life to show us that, that life is about giving. It's about love. It's about, it's about solidarity when you walked among us, even to the darkest place on the cross. And help us, Lord, to, to have the courage to see that path and, and to follow that path. And also help us to have eyes to see that that is a good, good, good path to take. And, and I pray, Lord, that there would be joy for the journey. I pray you pour out your Holy Spirit upon uh, this bread and juice that we're going to share today as we share communion and whatever folks have at home, that, that these things would be for us, the body and blood of Christ, that you would fill us up in a fresh way that we would leave here changed because we've encountered you, the living God. Guide us, Lord. Be with us. Speak to us now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If y'all want to go ahead and get out your communion cup.
you don't have one, they're in the, Rick, Brother Rick's got some in the back and he can give you one. He's just standing back there. Just raise your hand if you want one. But you can go ahead and get those open. Sometimes it takes a little bit to get those open. Those of you at home who are worshiping online with us, whatever food and drink you've set aside for this purpose, feel free to, to get that out and join with us. But I encourage you to take and eat. This is the body of Christ broken for you. I encourage you to take and drink. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. We're going to continue to worship. I invite you all to stand as we sing our closing song. You're welcome to remain seated if you would like, or you're welcome to kneel at the altar. Um, we do have uh, Brother Rick's in the back. He'd be happy to lift you up in prayer. Um, you can go back there. I'll be over here if you'd like to speak with me or pray with me. But I encourage you just to seek God and ask what God may be speaking to you this morning.
past uh, year, throughout the whole year, we've kind of been on this journey with Jesus, following Him. And Jesus, you know, we journey with Jesus. Some, sometimes they're going to be, you know, really encouraging. Some are going to be challenging. Um, some are going to be hard. But, but what I want to remind you is that Jesus is committed to you for the journey. And, and we've committed to following Christ, and He's committed to sticking with us through the ups and downs. And so um, life is a journey, and we all are at different places, and that's all good. Um, but the point is, are we continuing to press in? Are we continuing to, to keep our eyes on the narrow path that Jesus has laid out before us? And, uh, and he's a good guide, and he'll lead you well. And there's grace for the journey, so trust in that. Um, so if y'all prepare your hearts for the benediction, may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace.